we or we talked about Bruce already. We talked about the boy who's who wants to be a missionary. Mm. Oh god, yeah. He he was fascinating. So he's got like ears that stick out from his head at like a ninety degree angle. Um and then he sat there in like a full like shirt, tie, tweed jacket and waistcoat, but at like set there's something very comedic about a seven year old boy in a shirt and tie and like a waistcoat and a jacket. Um and then he's going, well, of course, I would like to be a missionary. I think it's very important that people know about God. And- he doesn't talk like that. He, <laughs> he talks does, like a he kid. He sounds so old, though. <laughs> he does. He's though. the oldest sounding of the kids. Like, he has, he, 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 has, he has like a little boy's voice, but he has like old man cadences. But I think that a lot of them have like strikingly way more. They seem like there's a few like the kids in Liverpool just seem like little kids, but a lot of them like kind of seem as though they have the intonation and like the the turns of phrase that adults have like it's the way that obviously neither of us is is a parent but like the way that some of the the kids in the in the Kensington school and some of the kids in the east end like it just you can 100% just sort of hear them quoting chapter and verse stuff their parents say it's oh, yeah. it's very very funny but like yeah Bruce seems he seems very lonely and odd he just seems like a very very lonely kid in this there's this, there's this footage of him like doing dress right dress style extra military exercises at this school and like he just has this look of utter panic on his face the yeah, whole time marching them off to the nonsense shed yeah that's kind of um so I, I i did a little bit of and I, I feel like talking a little bit about this uh without revealing too much i think is really interesting so neil is the is the is one of the more call it tragic characters in this right because okay. neil the boy in liverpool who like is just just cheeky funny kid Loves to skip. Loves to skip. Loves fighting swords. Like he said, he loves doing, making the noise of swords hitting together and stuff like that when they're yeah, fighting yeah. outside. Talented uh, VFX artist. He, 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 he yeah. Uh, he, um, he goes to university in Aberdeen, but drops out and uh, winds up becoming homeless, becoming a squatter in the 70s and 80s, then winds up living in the Shetland Islands in uh, a council flat, like basically council flat on the shetland islands right now that is yeah that's like the premise for a radiohead song like. right and he he eventually gets his stuff together to an extent um but you can tell that he's definitely like the story that he tells is that like he was really really seriously bullied at the comprehensive he went to when he and apparently like i haven't seen the second one but that apparently comes through a lot in his demeanor that he's no longer like a happy kid right um, okay and he winds up becoming uh, a lay preacher and a counselor in Tower Hamlets and then subsequently in Cumbria. Uh, right, okay. And so, like, he does eventually get married. This man loves to move to a different area of the UK. Well, like, when he's when he's homeless, he's just, like, wandering around on foot across, like, rural parts of the UK. Like, rural Scotland, uh, in, in, in the Shetland Islands, stuff like that. Um, but the thing, apparently, where he got his act together was it was Bruce. So Bruce, the character, the the boy who the, who wants to be a missionary, winds up teaching English in Bangladesh for a while, and then teaching in the East End. And while he's living in the East End, he lets Bruce or he lets Neil stay with him to sort of like try to kind of get back on his feet. And that winds up being like a thing for like stability for him. So they actually wind up staying friends throughout their lives. Hmm. But it's just a very very strange story because I, I feel like moving away from just describing the characters to talking about the sort of the bigger picture, I couldn't help coming away from this just being like this is less a story about call it class in britain which is what i think it was trying to be about yeah and more a story about baby boomers like mm. genuinely about like 
how much this country has changed since then, but also yeah. like how what that specific generational experience was. Because like when you hear yeah. about some of these stories, like the opportunities that they wind up having, like or like the the pitfalls they wind up having, the problems they wind up like a lot of that stuff's changed now. Some of it's way better, some of it's way way worse. But like, yeah, I mean, even just like quotidian stuff, like got a council flat, like was yeah. able to get one. Yeah, good good luck with that. Yeah, where I live in southeast London, you have to have lived in the borough for over five years to be able to get on the wait list for a and council flat. The waiting flight. list is like ten years. Yeah, the waiting list is about nine years right now, I think. Um, and obviously, Southwark is constantly demolishing council flats. Of uh, course, because it would be wrong not to. You've got to replace them with affordable flats. Yes, affordable is always in scare quotes, which means you have to earn, you know, fifty, sixty thousand pounds a year to not be rent burdened and living in one. And it's mm. like wages in the UK are incredibly low, so like it's a, it's a it's a fuck situation. And it's, without derailing it too much, I I just I came away from this just being like, yeah, you you could leave school at fifteen and get a job that mm. allowed you to buy a house. Like a number of the kids in this story do, like yeah. they wind up doing like they either. They they go into trades. They go into stuff like somebody. One of them was like working at a building society. She was able mm. to buy a house. Like that just doesn't really exist anymore in this country. Yeah, yeah. And so it winds up just being a very very strange kind of snapshot. And so to me, it's like even knowing what happens to some of them. Like I kind of want to watch all of them and talk about them regardless because I feel like seeing yeah the British pathé black and white newsreel version of Britain in 1963. Mm. Once you get into 1970, it's in color, and then yeah. it starts getting more, you know, getting closer and closer to the modern day. And yeah. It's just kind of bizarre as the as the as the, uh, as the new order Blue Monday starts fading in. You know, um, <laughs> fucking uh, Tony's got a mullet. I mean, it, there are some footage in the later ones where they cut back to the previous documentaries, mm-hmm. and Tony at 21 is 100 percent just like Mister Dog Race's geezer. Um, yeah, awesome. Like. At 28, he winds up, yeah, he's, he's, he's become a cab driver, taking acting lessons and stuff like that. But it's just, it's just a very, very strange, uh, I guess, little snapshot. And I guess to me, I was wondering, like, you must have grown up hearing stories about this shit, about some of the stuff that's described in this. And so I'm yeah. wondering, like, what your reaction was as the actual Brit on the show. Yeah, I mean, it was really, like, I don't know, there were so many great little sort of, like, tidbits and bits of ephemera in there. And I think there's so much stuff where you're like, how much has this even really changed in, in a lot of ways? Like in terms of like the way that the kids are, I think like the, the I think you're right to observe that it's ended up being less about class and more about baby boomers. But I think what, what you notice about the class stuff is how static it is. Yeah. Um, and how it's kind of like, you know, that there are some differences. I mean, like the, the working class is a lot less white than it used to be, for example, in 1963. But like it, it, a lot of like the basics of like what you imagine kids would be like in a school in the East End are like pretty similar. And similarly, what kids are. I mean, I guarantee that Kensington pre-prep school is still the vibes are that the desks are probably the same. That was actually something I twigged with the... There's a bit where the boys at the Kensington school are talking about where they're going on to like their next prep school and yeah. senior school. And, you, and they're already asking them where they're thinking about going to university. And then um, all of the like even small prep schools and stuff that they name still exist. Of course. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's sort of a, like you're like, uh-huh. Yeah. Whereas like, I bet almost none of the state schools in the in the documentary still exist, I would think. Well, they were talking about going to uh, like the specific colleges of Oxford or Cambridge that they wanted to go to. Yeah, weirdly, two of them said Trinity Hall, Cambridge, which is really small. It was quite an interesting... Uh, 
And I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure two of the three of those kids wound wound up going to uh, it was Charles was the only one who didn't he wound up going to Durham, um uh but he he in his interview when he's 21 when he has long hair and looks very much like mm, guy yeah. who's now at Durham University, um he, we've all heard a lot about Docksbridge so far he, he's he's show. he's kind of, well um and there there's a certain level of confrontation in the question that's asked of him where where mm. the, the interviewer where Michael Apted just basically says like. Well, you didn't wind up making Oxford. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I'm dead serious. I'm brutal. Because the question is so it's so like, I went to Oxford and why didn't you? And he talks about the sort of uh yeah, the 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 the, the prep school to boarding school to Oxbridge conveyor belt and not wanting to be a part of that. But it feels mm. like he's been put on the defensive by this guy who's both like trying to make a wider point about class in Britain, but also is a guy who went to Cambridge. And it's just yeah, like yeah, so yeah. there's that. Present mm-hmm. company excluded. <laughs> right. I mean, look, Milo went to Oxford actually. Razzing, yeah, that's right. Yeah, razzing the um, you know, the old Oxford Cambridge rivalry it never get it never gets old. And I'd say you know, uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's two. The, some of us went to elite universities and some of us went to Oxford. Things like that. You know, or never never gets old. Yeah, exactly. But, elite universities like Cambridge, Indiana University, Bloomington. Exactly. That was what I was referring to. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, and that's another thing which I think comes out of it interestingly, which is until I would say probably like the eighties, like people who would have gone to university in the eighties or maybe even the early nineties, university education in Britain was such an elite thing. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about Oxbridge. I'm talking about going to literally any university that wasn't a polytechnic was like such an elite thing. And it was so inaccessible to most people i think not even for financial reasons because it was free it was free yeah but because it was so out of the like my mum, for example was very academic and like her parents wouldn't even let her go to sixth form college because they were like well you need to like go out to work and what and like there was just it was just like and the idea of going to university was like utter lunacy like no one and so like anyone who went to university in the uk before like let's say 1980 you basically had to be either some kind of prodigy got gotten really lucky with like a teacher who really pushed for it or something or basically you were posh like that's kind of like there was no like yeah i don't really know any of my peers who like aren't from like really posh families i have parents who went to university it's like extremely uncommon that was something that nick makes the point about when he's teaching in the United States in the early 80s mm. is that the American system for whatever its faults are is just kind of casts a wider net and more people wind up going to university overall. Yeah. But I think a lot of that in America is the legacy, I mean, specifically with white people and the sort of white middle class in America is the legacy of the GI Bill. Yeah, Because, yeah, yeah. you know, post-World War II, they created these things that, that wound up both giving people the option to go to university, but also subsidizing universities in general. Now, obviously, that changed, but there was, I mean, and there, there were definitely scams and bullshit colleges and paper colleges and stuff, you know, to kind of sop up people's GI Bill benefits. Oh, and welcome to modern Britain. Yeah, exactly. But there were also just a lot of people wound up going to university who wouldn't have otherwise been able to because they'd been drafted, they'd served in the military, and they wound up, you know, having an opportunity if they wanted to. And so, yeah. you know, that that definitely created this. And then I think this, this sort of culture of um, if you want, because... People my age and certainly people a little younger uh, or a little older, like call it the late Gen Xers and then 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 most millennials, will understand this the sort of reference here. We we had it drilled into us that the only way you could have a job that in any in any form could be considered a good job or an estimable job or a job that would let you 
you know, do more than just barely survive. You had to go to college. And so that is a, a, a byproduct, I think, of like, call it the sort of shrinking access to, you know, class mobility in America. The, the, the U.S. kind of created class mobility through a bunch of state interventions and then said, actually, the state shouldn't exist. And so, you know, when we talk about things like insane ballooning student loan debt in America, a lot of that is, you know, the byproduct of them both taking away the limits uh, that would stop university from costing that much and also taking away support systems that would let people go at, you know, subsidized or, or for free. Yeah. Um, Whilst at the same time increasing the expectation of university education. 100%. Yeah, because yeah. also in the, in the US, it's much more common for jobs to demand a master's. Yeah, nowadays it is. Yeah, it didn't used Which to be that Which is funny because a master's is pretty much a bullshit qualification that doesn't really do anything I mean, in most cases. But <laughs> Yeah, it really depends on, on what it is. I mean, because there's, there's, there's some things where like a master's is like a professional certification in a field and it's like yeah, certainly like engineering, it's engineer or, or yeah. medical stuff. There's certainly things like that. Yeah. Whereas in other ways, like, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, it's just extra school. It's yeah. just, it just costs way more than undergrad, which already costs a ton. When I was in New York, I had an interesting conversation about this with a friend of the show, Maddie Lubchansky, who was talking about they used to work, they have an engineering degree and used to work in a business that kind of designed and fitted like HVAC systems. So mm-hmm. they were like an air conditioning engineer. And they said that everyone else that they worked with were all like kind of like boomers or like slightly younger than that. And none, none of them had a university degree, but like their job which was the same job that those other guys did required a unit like you couldn't have gone to like a technical college like they did and just learned about hvac systems and become an hvac engineer now it was like a college degree and so it was like so stark because you're like literally working with people who don't have a college degree but you have to have one because you're under 50 